Hey Venture, welcome to week four of our hashtag Hoosier One series. This is also a where in the world sermon. We've been traveling around the world this past year, each time visiting with and learning from one of the missions that Venture supports. Did you know that when you give to Venture, a portion of your gift, well last year, 20 cents of every dollar given to Venture went to support local and global missions and outreach. I love our heart for missions. I love our church. Well, today, we want to catch a sneak peek at your missions dollars hard at work and learn something more about the heart of God in the process. For the last several weeks, we've been exploring the number of times in your New Testament Bible where Jesus looks through the crowd. He looks through the group of the best and the brightest and he locks eyes with the individual, the one. Jesus sees the one. He sees individuals. He sees through barriers like gender and money and cultural norms to truly see the heart of the one. Well, do we? We're asking the question. Do we really see people the way Jesus sees them? Do we even see them the way he sees us? Today, we're downtown. Well, we're close to downtown Indy. We're on the Near East side. We're exploring with Jesus' eyes in search of the one at a pretty special place down here. Today we're at Wheeler Mission, and I've absolutely lost track of the number of times I've heard a sentence like this. I bet you've heard these, maybe you've said them yourself. A Northside Suburbanite will be talking about some cultural event, maybe it's a ball game, maybe it's a concert that they've driven down in the city for, and they'll make this comment. I can't remember the last time I've been south of, and then they'll insert a numbered street, like 56th Street or 75th Street or 82nd or even 96th Street. Hey, fellow Northside Suburbanites, we might be living in a bubble. So join me for some great conversations down here, just south of 10th Street, actually. Then later we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to study a time when Jesus got into his car. Well, actually he climbed into his boat and he drove south past a numbered street. Well, actually he rode east across the lake to serve people on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. He looked through the crowds and he locked eyes with a homeless guy, a naked homeless guy, actually. Jesus sees the one and is moved to action. This is a high calling, my friends. Hashtag Hoosier One. Well, today we're focusing on the invisible one. And I'd like to introduce you to a gal in our church who's a Christian with her sleeves rolled up. She serves here at Wheeler Mission Center for Women and Children as the director of long-term programs. And I can't wait for you to hear her heart. My name's Lisa Hoffman. I have been a member of Venture since 1982. 
I have served at Wheeler since uh, 1997. We are the Center for Women and Children, so sometimes we've said that we're Wheeler's best kept secret. When people think of Wheeler Mission, their mind automatically goes to the sign downtown on Delaware that says Jesus saves. My title here is the Director of Residential Programs. I have a background in education, taught school, and had decided to resign my position after only seven years. Those seven years were a real come to Jesus time for me where I had to really be dependent on the Lord for daily breath. <laughs> you know how we think we know sometimes that God's blessing must be on this direction or that. And what I'd really done is put God in a, a real box and <laughs> said, here's, here's what I'm willing to do for you, Lord, if you'll just please allow me to get out of this situation. One of my prayer partners was the wife of the youth minister at that time, and they were my very dear friends. And he had come down to a meeting at the old care center, and he had asked me if I would watch their children during that day. And so I had said yes, and at this point I had resigned my position, but I thought I knew where God was directing me next. And he came down to a planning meeting and came back and said, I think you should take this job at the care center. I said, oh, no, 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 you know, like I can't. Part of my plan was not to drive far and, and not to, you know. Uh, I had thought I already knew what I was planning to do next. And um, he said, well, I already talked to the director down there, and I think you should go at least for the interview. So I was driving down to this interview not knowing why and got stopped by the train up on Keystone. And uh, I was praying, God, um, I'll go where you want me to go. How would God take me um, and use me here that I know that, that I've shared Jesus with lots and lots of women I've had the chance to pray with women to accept Christ. I've baptized ladies in our lake down at camp. Um, that's the coolest thing in the world that God would take somebody who just seven years before said, I'm not even sure there is a God. <laughs> and, and then for 25 years could use you to um, share hope and um, to share the love of Christ with people. Um, who gets to do that? I mean, it's just such a huge blessing. Lisa, you gave me a book a little bit ago. I love the title of it. So it's called Invisible Neighbors. <laughs> if you don't see them, they're not looking. The idea is that a lot of times we want to live by the thought process of, well, those people can't exist, but just like not near me. <laughs> Sometimes there's a concept of not in my backyard or I can acknowledge that it's a social situation, but it's, you know, it's far away uh, from me instead of realizing uh, we need to, to be able to see people. Like, again, it's not a group, um, it's an individual. We have to overcome our barriers and sometimes it causes us to have to talk to somebody or hear somebody's story and sometimes we're not willing to do that. Sometimes we're fearful of doing that. We don't want to invade somebody's space. Um, so oftentimes um, people groups, not just people experiencing homelessness, but people groups are 
are feeling pretty invisible. If you see somebody who's in, maybe you anticipate that they might be homeless um, or experiencing homelessness, maybe you're walking around downtown or something, uh, maybe just making eye contact or acknowledging this is a human being, even if they're not in a situation where they are experiencing homelessness, it doesn't hurt to say hello. I think the homeless are amongst us and the hurting are amongst us and we need to be better at listening, asking questions, hearing somebody's story. Restore Creations began in 2015 as a social enterprise that was created by the women, uh, for the women, and it's run by the women. We create candles and they are sold in a variety of sizes and the women come into Restore Creations several times a week where they participate in that process. They have come up with scents, they've blended scents and created scents for Restored Creations. They put together their uh, testimony and write their testimonies up for the candle. So each candle has uh, that a person would purchase from Restored Creations comes equipped with the testimony of one of our women and how they've been a restored creation. So the women learn job readiness skills there. They clock in and out and participate in what would appear a therapeutic work environment. We really focused on transferable job skills that the ladies can take and bring with them to their next step. They put those on a resume. We write a reference letter for them when they leave so that they have something to take with them as having participated in kind of a job readiness program. Believing more in yourself and who you are as a person who is of value, has worth, is significant, and really not be drugged down by all the the information that the world puts on us and really come to understand your identity in Christ. So you have a chance to grow that relationship, to grow those life skills. Thank you, Lisa. Hey, on behalf of our church, thank you for your heart of compassion. Listen, Jesus identified himself with the homeless, and he took every opportunity to speak about and to help them. When we consider that Jesus himself was homeless for much of his life, that's right, I said it, Jesus himself was homeless. How does this challenge us to see the face of Jesus in all of those in need? Jesus remarked to Judas Iscariot. He said, you'll always have the poor with you. 
Well, looking around the cities and the towns and the refugee camps of our world, we might make this remark more specific and say, we will always have the homeless with us. Jesus had some powerful things to say about the situation of the homeless and did many things for them. He was also a homeless person himself. So let's talk about Jesus, one of the homeless. Jesus did not start life at home or in a hospital. He was born in a stable, and his crib was an eating trough for animals. That's how his life began, as a homeless baby, born to parents who were sleeping in less than ideal situations themselves. They were sleeping rough, first a stable, then he had hardly come into the world when Mary and Joseph took him across the border to escape the murderous intentions of King Herod the Great. Jesus became a baby on the run, a homeless asylum seeker in Egypt. During the days he was growing up in Nazareth, Jesus did enjoy a home to live in, but once he was baptized by John and he began his public ministry, he became, again, a homeless person. Speaking about himself as the Son of Man, he said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes can be safe because they live in warm burrows down in the earth, and birds can be safe and sound in their nests high up in the trees. But Jesus did not have that kind of safety and security. He had no home he could call his own, no fixed dwelling where he could lay his head on a pillow and go to sleep at night. He lived his life out in the open, sometimes alone, and sometimes he was sleeping rough at night. At the end, Jesus didn't die at home or in a hospital being surrounded by the kind of care that dying people can expect. He died by slow torture as a kind of barbarous entertainment for curious spectators. Who is more homeless than a person nailed up on a cross? Well, today, we're just under two weeks away from Good Friday when we will remember that Jesus had been stripped of his clothes to die in agony with no home, no possessions, no bank account, and hardly a friend within sight. In his own particular way, Jesus was born, lived, and died as a homeless person, the brother and the friend of all homeless people and of refugees and asylum seekers everywhere. So, hashtag Hoosier One. Do we see the invisible people around us? Well, do we see Jesus himself? Perhaps this helped shape Jesus' obvious concern for the homeless, his own life experience. Jesus repeatedly showed his practical concern for homeless people. Let me mention only two of many examples we could look at. First, a leper, and then a possessed man. First. The man with the pandemic of the first century, leprosy. This guy, ignoring the law about keeping his distance away from other people, he was a leper, an outcast, a social pariah. He came close to Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he said, listen, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus' heart went out to the poor man. He looked through the crowd and he saw him, right? Check this out. He touched his ravaged face, and he cured him. The homeless leper no longer had to sleep rough, but could now return to his home and to his family. Then, and I want to camp in this text for a bit, Mark's gospel tells us at length the story of a demoniac. 
Actually, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to read it together. This guy behaved in a violent, antisocial, and often self-destructive manner. He lived among the tombs and belonged in the realm of the living dead. He was an outcast from society, someone with whom no one wanted or even dared to live with. But we'll discover... Jesus looked through all of that, and he really had eyes to see him. Well, let's, let's read about it together. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. This is kind of like the first century equivalent of across the tracks. They rode across the lake from the right side of the lake to, from a Jewish perspective, the wrong side of the tracks. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It's almost like a screenplay here. We can see it. The details that Mark gives in his gospel are incredible. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. It seems like they had some treatment plan that they had tried with him, and it didn't work. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Do you think the townspeople were aware of this? Oh, you better believe they were. I bet little kids told stories about that crazy guy, and we're going to discover in a little bit, he was a naked crazy guy who lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Similar to what we saw the other gentleman do, right? He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, and I love this detail. Remember, Jesus looks through the crowd. He locks eyes with the individual. It gets real personal real quick. He's looking for his name. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Who are you? I really want to see you. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Then the story gets really interesting. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, get this, about 2,000 in number. You talk about details. Well, they rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Can you imagine this scene? I bet this captured some attention. People were interested. What in the world is going on over there with their, the naked, crazy homeless guy? Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed now and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the, de the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're overwhelmed by the power. Nobody else has been able to do this. Jesus did it. They're a little bit scared. I bet you would be as well. As Jesus was getting into the boat, 
the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But curiously, Jesus did not let him, but said, he looked at the man in the eyes and he said, you go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, this other side of the tracks, the other side of the lake, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Man, I, I love that passage. Without being asked, Jesus delivered this man, the demoniac, from the evil spirits who had tortured him and restored him to a normal existence. No longer feared and despised, the man could once again share a home and take his place in society. Now, I don't know about you, but it is profoundly curious to me that Jesus didn't let this once homeless and mentally ill and demon-possessed man come with him. I mean, this is the goal, right? The cure for homelessness is a home, right? Well, I think it's bigger than that, actually. I think the goal is a place of belonging, a place of influence and respect in the community and maybe, maybe in society at large. Jesus gave this man this. He gives him a goal. He gives him a mission. He gives him an integral role in God's mission here on earth, actually. Jesus commissions him here as a cross-cultural missionary. You have to look to see this. But you see, simply by rowing across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had just crossed some pretty big socioeconomic and invisible political boundaries. Did you catch verse 1? This was the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus had rowed across the lake from Jewish neighborhoods to Gentile, even Roman neighborhoods. In the first century, this was the region of the Decapolis, baby. He was really on the other side of the tracks. Why didn't he let this guy come with him? Why didn't he bring him home with him? Well, can I point you back to verse 19? Jesus looked through the crowd. He sees the once homeless, once living among tombs, once cutting himself and self-harming himself, broken, hurting, ridiculed, feared. He sees a human being. He sees into his soul. Remember, we seek Jesus, we see you. And he fills him with purpose. He gives him a mission. He gives him a calling. He gives the man dignity with this charge. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And get this, the man does. He becomes a cross-cultural missionary. We presume that he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He told his story, what Jesus had done for him. Then he told it again. Then he told it again. And we presume that he didn't shut up about it. He couldn't shut up about it, what Jesus had done for him, and his testimony was obvious. He used to be the weird, naked, homeless guy in the graveyard. Now, well, they knew him by name. His neighbors finally saw him as well. And they listened to his testimony. Because the next time Jesus came through that way, skip ahead in this story about three chapters. Look here in Mark chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And if you keep reading, you'll discover that this is a miracle story. We refer to this as the, the feeding of the 4,000. If you skip ahead to the end of the story, in verse 13, we read, Then he left them 
He got back into the boat and he crossed to the other side. That's right, this feeding of the 4,000, this Gentile or Roman people, well, this happens on the, in the same area that Jesus had just three chapters before healed a homeless guy. And he told him not to come with him, but to stay there and to tell everyone he met about what the Lord has done for you. I believe that the crowd of at least 4,000 people showed up to hear the life-giving teaching that Jesus had to offer, all because a once homeless guy told his friends about Jesus and they told their friends and their friends repeated the story. Hey, do you remember that crazy dude that used to hang out in the cemetery? This guy named Jesus, who claims to be the son of God, he healed him. He's gonna be here actually in two weeks, teaching on the hillside outside of town. We should go and check that out. You never know. You never know what is downstream of the decision to truly see someone the way Jesus sees them. I mean, think about this. Jesus sees the one. He identifies the one. Then he invests in the one. And then he invites the one into mission to follow him. His hashtag, who's your one, then identifies, invests, and invites. And 4,000 souls are influenced downstream of this investment. Pretty cool, right? So how are you doing in that area? When's the last time you rode across the lake? Or more appropriately, traveled south of some numbered street, maybe even down here? south of 10th Street. What did you see? Who did you see? Hey, who did you choose not to see? I want you to meet Lakeisha. God's up to something in her life, and it's contagious. I was in and out of the shelters, in and out of hotels, sleeping on benches, living the life of just in the streets, because I had got on drugs. And then I finally got into a program here at Wheeler. It was like 18 months, I graduated. They asked me to do another, another year of leadership. I was like, no. I don't want to do it. I'm fine. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I should have stayed. I should have stayed. So I tried to get me an apartment, do my own thing, didn't stay connected with Wheeler, didn't stay connected with no church, and um, met a man, got back on drugs. The cycle started all over again. Got in the program again, but I didn't stay long. But they did help me. I was on the emergency side, and they helped me get a certificate for housing. They, di they directed me to some agencies because they have good resources. I got that certificate, and um, I got with another guy. We got abusive, still in the indie. Started, you know, still wasn't happy. Got back on drugs again. That's the same cycle yeah. all over again. 
At first when I was coming to the program, I was homeless. This time what I did was I kept the certificate. I kept my home. I didn't be I wasn't homeless, but I was empty inside and I made a call. I said, "Hey, um I'm giving this certificate up. I need to get back into this program. I need to do this thing all over again." I'm like, "I'm giving up my house. I'm giving up the certificate. I'm selling everything that's in this house. We we'll get this furniture and everything." I don't care. I need to do it for me and the Lord. Wheeler has shown me that it's a faith-based ministry. You can make it by faith through God. The Wheeler teaches that it's about your relationship with you and Christ. Hey, when you pass someone homeless on the street, what is your first thought? I hope they don't see me. What's the quickest way I can avoid them? Maybe to act like we're talking on the phone or even to wonder what they did to end up like that. Or do we think, this is my neighbor, a fellow image bearer of God to look our fellow traveler in the eye and see them, really see them, as Christ sees them, to greet them, and when we're able, to do more. By the way, thank you so much for your investment into God's kingdom. When you give to Venture, that's fueling some great mercy ministries and mission that is expanding God's kingdom, like right here at Wheeler Mission. Here at Venture, our vision statement is we seek Jesus and we see you. May we have eyes to see, to really see people as Jesus sees them. And may we have courage to respond with his compassion. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus' example even living and moving on this earth as a homeless person. We thank you for his example to see, to really see people, where they're at, what they're doing, and to see beyond that the potential for who you've made them to be. God, we thank you for the incredible ministry that's happening right here at Wheeler Mission. We thank you for Lisa. We thank you for folks like her who have their sleeves rolled up and they're all about the heart of God to restore and to grow and to build up and to encourage. Father, I pray for the folks that are living right here in this space behind us. And I pray that you continue to do a powerful and mighty work in their lives, even today as we pray. And God, for us, give us eyes to see as you see. And it's in Jesus' name, in your name we pray, amen. <laughs>